Hello and welcome. This is Search for Truth, your weekly 15-minute Bible teaching program with your teacher, Brian Johnston. I'm your host, John Martin, and our series is called Once Saved, Always Saved. It's a 10-week series, and today's is number 8. Brian has been showing from Bible evidence that our Christian salvation is absolutely secure. But today's talk shows that there is one aspect of our salvation that we can lose. So let's learn more with Brian. Thanks, John. In the same way that we might make use of recognised landmarks in giving someone directions, it's just as necessary to identify the Bible's main or landmark teachings and then navigate our way around sometimes difficult verses in relation to them. If our understanding of a particular text seems to be at odds with one of the Bible's main teachings, it may indicate that the text should be related to a different teaching instead. One such landmark teaching is that a truly born-again person, through faith in Jesus, is secure in God's keeping so far as his salvation from eternal judgment is concerned. Such a person is seen as in Christ, a status granted when he or she first believed and was blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. As Christ himself confirmed, the one who comes to me I will certainly not cast out. This is the will of him who sent me, that of all that he has given me I lose nothing. But there's another equally clear landmark teaching which is that as the believer travels daily nearer his assured heavenly home, he or she is accountable to the Lord Jesus for their response to the will of God. These two landmark biblical teachings are distinct but complementary. One line of teaching gives the believer utmost assurance of salvation from his deserved eternal judgment in the lake of fire. But the other teaching establishes that such grace and salvation mustn't be lightly regarded. We need to add on our part all diligence in our faith supplying virtue, knowledge, self-control, patience, godliness and love of the brethren, as Peter says in 2 Peter 1. With these two truths of scripture as background, let's now consider some specific Bible verses. There's 1 Timothy chapter 1 verses 19 and 20 which talk about two persons being handed over to Satan. This we may understand as the excommunication of these men from the churches of God. Thus debarred from local church fellowship, they would experience the effect of Satan's false teachings. Then in 1 Corinthians 9 and verse 27, Paul says that he disciplined his body so that he would not be disqualified, which means to fail the test. In this context, that test being the test of faithfulness in ministry. There's no thought of the preacher himself being disqualified from heaven. That's not the context here. Then there's Matthew 24 and verse 13, with its mention of enduring to the end to be saved. But read the surrounding verses, which refer to the future period of the great tribulation. For future ones who come to know the Lord, not us, This text will assure them that God will intervene to bring the tribulation to an end and that they will be saved out of it. In John's Gospel, chapter 15 and verse 6, Christ presents himself as the true vine and describes believers in him as branches. It's an illustration of communion and fruitfulness. 
which makes the point that apart from him we can do nothing, for there'll be no fruitfulness if the individual believer's link of communion with Christ is broken. A disciple who fails to maintain this communion becomes like a withered vine branch, fit only to be burned. But not the eternal burnings. The subject of eternal salvation is not under discussion here. The Lord, you remember, was speaking to disciples about fruit-bearing. So this is simply the case of no more fruit-bearing in the life of an unproductive backslider. There are those who call upon the Lord in Matthew 7, verses 15 to 23, and in his name perform miracles. But we've to distinguish these false professors from genuine believers, because the Lord says to them, I never knew you. They did not lose salvation, because they never at any time had that salvation. In Hebrews 10 and verses 38 and 39, we learn of believers returning to Judaism, and in doing so, they would find their service as disciples ruined, and they'd only suffer loss of reward at the judgment seat of Christ, but they themselves would be saved, yet so as through fire. And then Peter, the apostle, writing in Second Peter 2 and verses 1 and 2, wrote of those who deny the master who bought them, and so bring upon themselves swift destruction in this life, even a spiritual destruction. Verses 20 to 22 there refer to disciples who have made progress to the extent of escaping the defilements of the world, but then have turned back. Even their present experience would now be worse for them than if they'd never known the way of righteousness. Troubled by a guilty conscience, tormented with remorse for such wasted opportunity, the backsliding believer often runs to greater excesses than someone who's not known the Lord. And finally, in this review of challenging Bible texts, which we can navigate with reference to the landmark of our accountability in service and not with reference to our status in Christ, we perhaps ought to come to Matthew 12 and verse 31, with its mention of the unforgivable sin of blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. This has troubled many believers who've wondered if they've committed perhaps the unforgivable sin and so lost their salvation. This verse too must be kept carefully in its special historical context. Jewish religious leaders were standing face to face with Christ. They'd witnessed his mighty miracles and good deeds and yet very deliberately attributed the power of the Holy Spirit by which Christ performed his cures to the power of Satan himself. That was the defiant sin of the Christ rejecter. There's no comparable situation today which a believer could face. So overall, we need to relate difficult verses to established landmark teachings, and we must also interpret difficult verses in the light of plainer ones. The difficult texts are often simplified once we observe key distinctions. One such distinction is between salvation that is from sin's penalty, salvation that's from sin's power, and finally, salvation that's from sin's presence. The first, from the penalty, is once for all. The second, from the power of sin, is day by day. And the third, from the very presence of sin, is something still awaited for in the future. Let's explore them in order, starting with salvation that's from sin's penalty, which we read about in Ephesians 2 and verse 4. But God, being rich in mercy, 
because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. When Ephesians 2 and verse 8 talks about how we can be saved by God's grace through faith and as a gift from God, not the result of our works, but only as a result of God's work, it's speaking about salvation from the judgment which our sins deserve, which is the second death in the lake of fire. Now we want to move on to other texts about different aspects of salvation. So we come to Philippians 2 and verse 11, which says that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So then, Paul says, so then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it's God who's at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, so that you will prove yourself to be blameless and innocent, children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you appear as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I will have reason to glory because I didn't run in vain or toil in vain. There in Philippians 2 and verse 12, Paul writes about our need to work out our own salvation day by day referring to something requiring our cooperation with the work of the Holy Spirit within us. This is talking about a different aspect of our salvation, about being saved from the power of sin in our daily life as Christians. Our sinful nature remains after we've become a Christian, and so we still sin. In other words, sinless perfection here as Christians isn't possible. Sin's power is greater than us, But we have Jesus as an advocate, one who pleads in God's presence for us. That's why the Bible tells us that we don't need to fail. But if we do, we can know salvation from the power of sin by confessing our known sins to God, as per 1 John 1, verse 9. Now lastly, in our topic of the three aspects of salvation, let's turn to Romans chapter 13, from verse 10. Love does no wrong to a neighbour, therefore love is the fulfilment of the law. Do this, knowing the time, that it's already the hour for you to awaken from sleep, for now salvation is nearer to us than when we first believed. The night is almost gone, the day is near, therefore let us lay aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armour of light. That's the third aspect of salvation, the one that's mentioned here in Romans 13 verse 11. It's a future aspect now nearer to us than when we first believed. This is salvation from the very presence of sin, and it's to take place at Christ's return, when he returns to take all Christian believers away from the sinful world. At that time in the future, our bodies will be made new, never to be capable of sinning ever again. It should now be clear that there really is an aspect of salvation which we can lose, and which is conditional, And that is salvation from the power of sin day by day. This insight brings harmony to our understanding of God's word concerning our salvation. Sadly, however, by not taking care to distinguish between these three aspects of salvation, 
Some have wrongly taught that the believer's salvation from the penalty of his or her sins isn't secure or is a mixture of faith and works. Not so. God's promise to whoever believes in Jesus is eternal life. It's God's free gift to the believer. Thanks, Brian, for your study of the Scriptures today. If you'd like to study this subject in greater detail, then there's a transcript booklet available which covers the whole of this ten-part series. If you'd like one or several copies for group study, ask for the title Once Saved, Always Saved. You can contact us by email or by post, and here's the address. Search for Truth, P.O. Box 70115, Chilomani, Blantyre, Malawi. And the email address is sft at churchesofgod.info. You can find a selection of past programs and other helpful things on our website, so if you want to do that, go to www.searchfortruth.org.uk. So that's all we have for today. It's been great to have your company with us. So please join us again next week if you can. But until then, we give our very best wishes from Bible teacher Brian, studio technician David, our singers and me, of course, John. So goodbye for now and may God richly bless you.